Trick or treat, everyone. It's Betsy, and here's the spooky offerings we have coming up in the Popping Collars feed for October 2021. On a ghoulish episode of Popping Collars, we weigh in on the most famous and sometimes infamous examples of religious horror movies. Will all four hosts just pick The Exorcist over and over again? Listen and find out if you dare. Greg compiled a whole new panel of guests for this month's episode of The Canon. They dive into the fiendish works of Al Pacino. Going on 30 years, the finish line of movies from 1990 with a look back at the terrifying classic Pretty Woman. Finally, special guest Stephen McHale returns on The Sacred Six to discuss the most horrifying Beatles album of all time, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Turn the lights on, lock your doors. The call may be coming from inside the house and keep those collars popped. Hello, this is Chris Arnold, and I was the guest on episode one of Popping Colors. Hello, this is Shana Watson, ordained priest serving at St. James Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm John White. I'm the podcast editor at Episcopal Cafe. Hi there. This is Reverend Eric Matoyer from the Episcopal Diocese of California. This is Kyle Goodman, the lead pastor of Alamance Presbyterian Church. Hi, I'm Richard Lindsay, the godfather of Popping Collars. Hello, I am Holly McHale Larson, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oakland. Hi there, this is the Reverend Martin Alfred from Grace Memorial Episcopal Church in beautiful Portland, Oregon, and you are listening. And you are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to. You are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to Popping Collars. 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 And this is Popping Collars. And he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss. Then a band of demons joined in and it sounded something like this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I am your host for this evening, Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in lovely Los Gatos, California, where it's sunshine and hot and all the time looking at pretty things because the smoke has cleared from wildfires and it's good to be alive. With me are my co-hosts. I'm going to mix up the order just for fun. Betsy Carmody. Betsy, tell us how you are. Hey, Ricardo. I'm Betsy Carmody, and I serve and live at the Episcopal High School here in Alexandria, Virginia, where I'm the head chaplain. And school's back. Kids are back. We're back, kind of getting it together. I think it's definitely been it's been a little tiring when you haven't fully flexed your muscles of boarding school in a long time. It's been, I think we've all feel like we're like getting back in the gym after like 18 months is a little bit what this, what this feels like. Um, Somehow it is way more strenuous to have a dress code and not just wear sweatpants all the time. So um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we are. We're, we're building muscle. We're working out. We're a little sore, but it's okay. Move forward. (laughs) Nice. Thank you, Betsy. Yeah. Uh, with me also is my co-host, Liz Easton. Liz, tell us how you are. What's going on? Hey, Ricardo. Um, I am here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. 
I don't really know what to say. My boss, the Bishop of Nebraska is back from his um, summer sabbatical. So I um, feel a lightening of my load, which has been a nice little transition as we move into fall. And what are you doing with your free time? Your new found free time. <laughs> That's funny. That's real feel, funny, Greg. Doesn't feel <laughs> that different. But here's the difference. Um, I'm not as uh it was stressful to be the person that people asked kind of definitive questions of. Mm-hmm. I think that that happens in a lot of organizations where things just sort of get pushed in, until you finally have to ask someone the question, like, can I do this or can I do that or whatever? It's nice to not be that person. I've always valued that in my ministry, <laughs> not being that person. Right. <laughs> so you didn't get a rush of power these last. No, three- no, not at all. It was quite the opposite. It was very, it was very humbling, and I was lucky. I've been a, I've been here in this diocese for a really long time. I mean, I first showed up in Nebraska when I was 22. So some of my colleagues I've known like for a really long time. So people were very happy to answer my frantic phone call or to proofread things for me before I sent them out and check tone and all of that. So I have really good colleagues. I was grateful. Awesome. Thank you, Liz. And last, but certainly not least, Greg Knight, tell us. (laughs) Hey, Ricardo. Uh, Greg Knight, I'm the Associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. Um, what's going on with me? I recently took a group of youth up to Universal Studios for the day. What was that um, like? No COVID at Universal, it turns out. <laughs> oh, really? That's great. <laughs> it's just uh it's true in parts of Nebraska as well, Greg. It's amazing. Is that is that because of Harry Potter's magic? Is that why there's no I don't know. I don't know. They periodically play over the speakers, like you know. Maybe wear a mask, maybe social distance, but no, nah, that's not what Nothing's happened. required. <laughs> Doesn't happen up there. Um, anyway, uh, so I took a group of kids up there and in the van ride up, somehow they weren't on their devices. Somehow we were actually having conversations with each other, which is Whoa. bizarre, especially when you're dealing with Gen Z. And um, they were talking to me about a television show that I'd never seen before that they were all watching on Netflix called Manifest, which uh-huh. I guess is a show that was on NBC about a missing plane. Anyway, they convinced me that I needed to watch the show. Let me just tell you really quickly never take tv advice from teenagers they have the worst taste in television this is the they watch they watch like ncis oh and stuff God, like this i show don't is terrible this show is god awful and now i'm pot committed like i'm stuck i'm stuck on the show i've got to like see it all the way through and it's just anyway um psa to the rest of the world don't take tv recommendations from teenagers oh <laughs> and no offense to any teenage listeners if there are any <laughs> Love you. If you're Love listening you. to the podcast, you are the exception. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, thank you all. Um, so, today, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to have a bit of a freewheeling discussion on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, anyway. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this, uh, at least in this much focus. Uh, the topic is religious horror movies. Now, normally, those things wouldn't seem to go together. And you got the horror movies with the killings and all that. And you've got religion, you know, holy and be good. But 
There is an intersection uh, that uh, religious horror movies really, uh, speaking of living at intersections, where they live. Um, because religion can bring up some really dark stuff. And the world is dark. And how do we make sense of it? And how do we interact with the horror, the horrible things in the world using our, you know, superpower of goodness or faith in humankind or in God? I've asked us all to come here with uh, one or two movies that we have seen and want to talk about that fall into this category. So I think we should uh, enlist the magic bag with the chips. Is that what we're going to do? Or we're just going to. Yes. Yes. I've reached in to the bag and I have drawn out a B for is unfortunate all right so so i had and i'll just name her right off the top because she gets pissed off when i don't name her so i was talking with my sister what is your sister's first name i feel like we should give her more credit her name is emily okay emily Emily. uh we are you know pop culture siblings she is a very elderly millennial and so i just (laughs) drag her into gen x with me i just pull her on in so we we have very i would say similar tastes in programming so we so we will often i mean she's the person who we're, we're recommended shows all the time so i said i just i don't i think i really took ricardo's uh you know invitation here much more narrowly right because like i am not in general a horror fan. I like thrillers. I like psychological thrillers, but horror is not where my, where I go. You longtime listeners will know. I am also a true crime fan. I am not necessarily a crime scene photo fan. Like Ooh. I was a little bit critical of the like night stalker Netflix thing. Cause there was a little too much blood flying around. Like mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily need that. So so it's like, uh, you know, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, your things. I, I like a little more jump scare, a little more mental kind of thing. But I do think that some of my repelling of the intensity of the genre does come from when I was in college and I had never seen The Exorcist. I'd never seen it, never experienced it. And it was like somebody like, all right, tonight we're going to watch it. And so we all gathered in my dorm room, popped it in. And started watching it and partway through the movie, there was just, I felt like this burning in my chest. Like I was so disturbed by the film that I I was going to, I thought I was going to throw up is what I thought. And it wasn't because there was throw up on the screen. Like that was like, whatever. And I like it because I feel like I, you can kind of see the strings because it's old. But I was like, I was so disturbed by the film. I've never had that reaction to any other movie before. And, you know, and I live the closest to the extra steps. I've been there. I've been there. Right. And so there is that thing, that element that was really hard for me about that, but that was really my biggest experience with religious horror. Now, Emily, she said, well, if I was going to define this, I'd define it a little more broadly. I said, well, then what movie would you pick? Cause she also not heavy in the genre. Uh, and so she said, she said, I really like the movie Fallen because she started like Googling like top religious horror movies. And this is like 1998 Denzel Washington, John Goodman, like Satan is kind of jumping from person to person. 
And she's like, I thought it was such a great movie. She said, I wasn't able to listen to that sympathy for the devil song for a really long time after that movie. But, you know, it's just it. Uh, she really she really dug that. She's like, I would I would I would pick that. She said, but I don't know whether I, too, would define it as horror because horror for me means bloody and yucky. But maybe that's not true for everybody. Wait, did you finish watching it ever? Uh, I think we did finish the movie. Okay. I kind of said I had to go to the bathroom and I collected myself and then returned back. I've never seen it either, Betsy. And I sort of, I have a, um, oh, when it comes to religious horror of this kind, things that dabble in the occult or in mm-hmm. the satanic, I have a um, aversion to it. I don't, I don't want to sound superstitious because it's not, it's sort of about um, it's almost like, like a diet. It's about like wanting to consume things that are not of the devil. <laughs> <They're not bad. laughs> like it, right. it does sort of feel um, as a Christian, I'm not sure I should be doing that. I guess I know that lots of people do and like, that's fine. There's a lot of really um, powerful cultural critique that goes into horror movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is, I would never gravitate toward a sort of um, Satan or Satan adjacent movie. And so I've never seen the exorcist. And I don't even really have a strong Satan or hell form Mm -hmm. for me. That's not a, I've talked about that this before on the show that that is not something that really lives for me strongly theologically. Wow. So I've got a lot to say all of a sudden. No. (laughs) My monologue at the top of the hour. (laughs) It's a little late. Betsy, thank you. That was awesome. Uh, Because I think, first of all, uh, you may or may not know this, but when The Exorcist first came out in the movie theaters, people were fainting and vomiting and running from the theater, like screaming. Really? Uh, they were so flipped out because it was so, di- I mean, the, and you see the movie now and it's pretty tame. It's actually kind of yeah. slow. Mm-hmm. Like, oh God, when is something going to happen? Um, but uh, it's, it's, it was shocking, you know, because they just really hadn't, sh- it's, it's sort of like, the scene in Psycho that you don't expect in the shower. Um, and so uh, it's interesting that, you know, many years later, you can still have something like that response. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is, you know, Liz, I love, I love that phrase, Satan adjacent. <laughs> Do you, are you a devil worshiper? No, but sometimes I'm Satan adjacent. <laughs> you know? I think that's great. Um, I think we're all probably at that point at some uh. in our lives. Um and I would say that not all religious horror movies, you know, it is a general, it is a general topic. I didn't really specify, but to me, um, there some of them are really highly moralistic um, and very much about right or wrong and which one are you going to choose. Um, and and the Exorcist in particular, the there are two priests, Max von Sydow plays the older priest, and uh, not something not so good happens to him, and then. Uh, the other guy, who the actor, I forget his name, but um, he plays a priest who has a lot of doubts and is actually going through some um, personal trauma. I think it was that his mother had recently died. His and mother died, yeah. Yeah, it was not good. And he was questioning his faith. And in a weird way, the fact that he was 
seeing the dark side of his faith and losing some of it that gave him the actual strength to uh, confront the devil in Linda Blair. How did uh, Shrink ever get to be a priest? It's the other way around. The society sent me through medical school. Oh, where? Harvard, Bellevue, Johns Hopkins, places like that. I see. You're a friend of Father Dyer's, right? Yes, I am. Pretty close? Pretty close. Did he talk to you about my party? He sure did. Uh -huh. About my daughter? No, I didn't know you had one. He didn't mention her? No. Huh. Didn't tell you what she did? He didn't mention her. Priests are pretty tight-mouthed then, huh? That depends. On what? The priest. And, uh, how do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? If, um, if a person's, you know, possessed by a demon or something, how do they, how do they get an exorcism? Well, the first thing, I'd have to get him into a time machine and get him back to the 16th century. I didn't get you. Well, it just doesn't happen anymore, Miss McNeil. Oh, um, yes? Since when? Well, since we learned about mental illness, paranoia, schizophrenia, all those things they taught me at Harvard. Miss McNeil, since the day I joined the Jesuits, I've never met one priest who has performed an exorcism, not one. But so often, stories about exorcisms and things like that, especially involving children and vulnerable people are really stories of religious abuse there. You know, the, the church is the abuser, which is also sadly a very true story, you know, in a number of ways, using power to um, manipulate and intimidate and often physically harm a child or a whole family for a kind of sadistic gain and it's not about, you know, the demon that needs to be exercised in that situation is often coming from the religious authority. Greg, you're going to say something? Oh, no. Um, I I just drew my name out of the oh. bag. Go for and it. And it's fortuitous because, uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking of when you were when you guys were talking about the exorcist is um, one of the sort of horrific things about. Uh, that movie is the body horror elements to it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's what happens to Reagan um, and the various sort of like, you know, horrible things uh, that she does to herself, the self-harm, um, but also just sort of the, the cuts and scrapes and, you know, it just looks really gross. Um, and it, it strikes me that when I think of the horror that I struggle with the most, like that's the horror that um, really sort of gets into, you know, just makes me squirm and squeamish. It's like um, Cronenberg movies, you know, like The Fly or Videodrome or, you know, yucky, just yucky, that, yucky. that gross kind of body stuff. Um, Darren Aronofsky, like Black Swan and, you know, Requiem for a Dream, just those, you know, not necessarily horror, but just, you know, you just sort of feel it, you know, what's happening on the screen. So uh, that leads me to my pick, which is actually a movie from this year 
picked one from this year. Oh. It's, uh, it's called Saint Maud. Saint Maud. It is a film that is on Hulu right now. Um, let me see if I can give a quick plot synopsis. It's a little hard. But okay, so um, it stars a woman named Maud. That's the character's name. Um, she is a nurse for a cancer patient. She's an at-home nurse for a cancer patient who is um, in late stages and in active death. The thing about Maud is that she has recently converted to some kind of faith. It's not a faith community, but it's some kind of belief system. Um, and she's trying to basically save this woman's soul that she's taking care of. It's all right. It is Amanda. The Lord forgives that which is said in anger. He knows your heart. The Lord. Yes, God. God sent me to you. He forgives everything. You only have to ask. Heavenly Father, is this woman in her? No, none of that nonsense. You must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. I am not alone. And neither are you. No. Snap out of it, honey. He isn't real. You must know that. No. You felt him too, remember? We both did. No, honey. I didn't. You have no idea how dull it is to be dying. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's just you and me here. Uh, the thing about Maud, though, is that she engages. Thank and you, by the way, um, just quickly, trigger warning, all the trigger warnings for this movie. If you ever try to watch it, I don't necessarily think that I would even recommend it. She engages in self-mutilation um, as part of her religious um, practice. But what she hears in her room is she hears the, the voice of God uh, telling her to do this stuff. And she's obeying this, this guiding force um, in her life. All this is to say that um, this is actually a really great movie. It's actually really well done. It's really well shot. Is it really great? Because I don't know. Is really good. You're right. I, you're, you, I didn't, I don't know that I wholeheartedly believe. It's actually a really good movie. I would never recommend anyone watch this movie. I would never <laughs> recommend anyone watch this movie. It's, it's, it's just that sort of horrific, especially if you're a body horror person like me. It's just, oh, it's such a tough watch. But there's something that it gets at that um, I think only religious horror can get at, which is the fanaticism of the person engaging in these actions. And it's like they see the purpose for this really horrible act that they're doing and they can't be stopped from doing it. So anyway, St. Maud is my pick. <laughs> Human frailty. I don't think we have a conversation to have after that. <laughs> you don't, Ricardo, you don't have three things that you really want to talk about? I, instead of thumbtacks, I would really use these small picture nails, and maybe that might be better. No, nothing? I, mean, what I got a stone in my shoe. Uh, 
No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it about? I mean, you you say it, Greg, like the frailty of the human body. But oh man, I don't know whether I need more things to remind me of how frail I am. If I can trip over a cord in the chapel and end up having knee surgery and being incapacitated for a little, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling pretty frail. Well, movies like that that do that body horror are so um, empathetic. I mean, they pl- they play mm-hmm. on our yes. empathy because, like, I I personally have a thing with fingers and toenails. Like, yeah. I cannot watch a movie where there's something going on with someone's finger or toenail. Yeah, friend, eyeballs, eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And it and it is because um, I think for mo- probably for most people, there is a completely um, empathetic, sympathetic response that like your body you feel the vulnerability of your own body when you're watching something like that happen even if you tell yourself it's special effects i think that um you know cult movies can be religious horror movies because there's that whole aspect of a a culture and a belief system that everyone buys into and can lead to destructive things like i guess the wicker man i've never seen it you know, those ideas that, I, you know, we are together when we're doing this thing. And you know that's true of, of actual some religions and some cults. And uh, you engage in behavior that from the outside would be shocking and uh, disgusting. But Drinking blood and eating flesh, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like we, we talk Man, about things Liz, kind of flippantly in church wrong. that are horrific body things. Mm-hmm. Like wandering in the wilderness without food or water for 40 days is horrific. Well, let like, alone the crucifixion. And we say it as if it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's awful. Well, um, like I was always, I always remember those, uh, those early accounts of people, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the body and blood becoming, you know, the body and blood. And that man has a vision. He looks down and he sees the knuckle of Christ in his hand after he receives communion bread. And it's like, whoa. Oh, you know that, but that is devotion. That is, that is showing your devotion. Right. And I mean, you know, you, you extrapolate that out. to like the desert fathers, like the story of St. Anthony, that's a horrific story. Like no one should be envisioning demons in the, in a, an abandoned fort, you know, and like doing battle every day and night. Like that shouldn't, that's madness. And yet it's it's written by Athanasius, so it's holy text in our tradition. Right. I mean, can we venture to say that there are horrific aspects to our Christian faith? I mean, I, I've been in churches, the one I'm at now, there is a man in the loincloth crucified behind the altar. And it's what you see for an hour and 15 minutes once a week. But obviously, you know, you sort of get inured to that. But if you stop and think about it, He's being tortured. And here we are gathering in a loving, you know, loving community, wanting to seek God in our lives and spread God into the world. And at the center of it, well, one one kind of central aspect and 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 um image of it is this torture. Liz. I'm always what horror lies in store for us, Liz. <laughs> I um my relationship to this topic is very similar to what Betsy described. It's not a go-to for me. I do like to be scared, but I'm more of into like psychological fear, jump scares, um, that your classic horror is not really my thing, but I do want to tell a little story before I give my, um, thing. And it's not even that good of a story, but it's about a religious horror movie. So many years ago, I would say 
eight years ago, perhaps I um, took a week long self-directed silent retreat. I had done directed silent retreats before I had done um, shorter self-directed one, but I did for a whole, it was like eight days. And I went to a convent in South Dakota, the black Hills of South Dakota that used to be a, I think it's still a boarding school, but they used to have um, faculty lived on their property. So they had these little houses these adorable little houses on their property in the Black Hills. And you could stay in one all by yourself for the duration of your retreat for like a nominal donation to the monastery. And you could go up and pray with the sisters and eat with them if you wanted to. But really, you're in this little house that looked like when you opened the door, it was well kept, but it was like stepping into the 1970s, like everything, the shag carpet, the furniture, the colors, the everything. So I'm going through my self-directed silent retreat. I don't know if you all have ever done that, but it's a little, it's hard. You are grappling with some stuff maybe that you didn't anticipate. I wasn't great at it. I'm no spiritual giant. So maybe like five days in, I could not handle it anymore. The solitude, I was going nuts. And um, the little cabin I was staying in had a television. And I said to myself, fine, I'll turn on the TV, but I won't just watch TV. I'll only watch if it's a movie. Somehow that was like, okay for me. The only movie on was the Amityville Horror. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect for a little 1970s home. In this life, it was crazy. It was the um, original one with, um, is it Richard Brolin? Is that his name? James Brolin, right? Me, James Brolin with a beard and he's so handsome. Mm-hmm. And um, I was freaked out. I was, it was so scary in the dark, having been transported to the 1970s, watching this movie for the first time. And there's a priest, it's, it has a religious element. So <laughs> that's my only experience with like a classic religious horror movie. Um, and I just sort of thought that God was giving me exactly what I needed. Like, oh, you can't handle this, your own thoughts. You can't handle side of being alone with yourself. Let me, uh, let me serve this up for you. That's the um, one where the priest gets swarmed by a bunch of flies. By the flies. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I read that book, actually. I listened to the audio book once uh, on a road trip. It's, it's kind of good. It's scary. So I decided to take this topic very literally. And the movie I'm going to talk about, I'm not sure if you all have ever heard about it. I only just remembered that I watched it recently as I was thinking about this topic. So on Netflix, there is a series of horror movies that are like produced by the same people, I guess, that is sort of, they each film has sort of like a cultural critique. And the series is called Into the Dark. They're all standalone, but the, um, the movie I'm going to talk about is called pure. And it was the last installment in, um, the first season. You make me a promise this weekend. It's really important to me. This is not an easy path to walk and many have stumbled along the way. We will not let you fall. Now Sunday is daughter's day. Well, this is Shay's first time. Don't worry. Shay, you have so much potential. What's that about? You were with a boy. What were you thinking? We just need you to come with us. We all just want our dads to love us. This is not love. 
some people out there say that we try to control our women. We love our women. There um, are two half-sisters who only have just discovered each other. Their father only just discovered that he had another child who uh, was the product of an extramarital affair. So he has these two daughters that are about the same age. And in order to like help facilitate their bonding and his bonding with them, he brings them to a basically purity ball retreat, like an evangelical purity retreat with a bunch of other dads and daughters. So these young women and their fathers are sitting through these sermons about purity culture and about preserving your virginity. And um, it's just sort of like relentless and they wear white dresses. They have to dress in white for the whole time. And the whole idea of this weekend at this camp with all these fathers and daughters is that it will build eventually to this ball where they sign a, um, commitment to each other, the father and daughter, which is a, you know, commitment to the daughter saving herself for marriage and the father, like supporting her in that. I don't really get it. And there's an exchange of rings and it's the white dress and the tuxedo and the whole nine yards. Meanwhile, the pastor keeps preaching about Lilith, which is, this is the part of the story that goes off the rails because of course, Lilith is a mythological, uh, you know, the mythological first wife of Adam who, who was straight sent, sent straight to hell after having sex with an angel or something. She's not, uh, she's apocryphal. She had her own fair though. (laughs) She did have a fair in the (laughs) night. Um, there's no way in the world that a Protestant evangelical preacher would preach about Lilith. There's just no way. Cause it's such an apocryphal story. You're muted, Betsy, but I can see that you're outraged. <laughs> oh, is that why Little Fair is called Little Fair? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's named after Lilith. Yeah. This sort of, I like, never even asked the question in my head. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, these girls end up doing like a kind of a seance type deal where they call upon Lilith, who then is unleashed into the camp and sort of horror ensues with Lilith um, possessing <laughs> the bodies of different girls as they seek their vengeance and their voice against their fathers but the but the real horror of the movie is not this supernatural lilith stuff it's the very real purity culture stuff which um is just relentless and horrifying and feels very incestuous not even in a glancing way but like literally so after watching it i googled like purity balls or like put it into youtube Mm-hmm. There are all of these like documentaries and the most disturbing language and images, but but specific language in the film were pulled directly from these documentaries. Whoops. So they were, there were certain things that happened where I thought, well, that's a bit much. There's no way in the world that there's any place where a father is signing what amounts to a marriage certificate with his daughter. Well, no, there absolutely is. It's just, it's super disturbing. It reminded me of, um, it reminded me kind of of Get Out. It's, so it's very like culturally, psychologically horrifying. And there's this sort of supernatural dark aspect of it, which almost felt superfluous. It almost felt like they did not even need to have that to make it a very convincing horror movie. 
So I commend that to you. It's not the best movie in the world, but it's one of the only ones that I've seen that explores that topic. And so it's literally a religious horror movie and it's called pure and it's from the into the dark series. Yeah. That also seems to need no follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but no. there is like, there is something that Liz is putting her finger on, which I think is true of all of the things that we've talked about so far, which is that there's this, the way that a horror movie works is that it escalates the tension, right? Like everything you get to a certain point and you're like, well, that's pretty messed up. And then it goes past that point. And then you're like, Oh, 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 what's going on? And then it just keeps Mm -hmm. going until like you've, you've hit like max, you know, horror. Um, And I think that sometimes that's how life can work too. Like we get into something that we're like, that doesn't seem so bad. Like I like my, you know, I want my daughter to make good decisions and blah, blah, blah. blah. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're in what basically amounts to a cult. Right. And you're like, Oh, Holy crap. How did I get here? And it's because it just escalated and it made sense as you were on the path until you got something horrific. Yeah. There were two podcasts that came to mind when you brought this up Liz. one is I've been enjoying, um, there's a SVU podcast that's messed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and SVU is, is I think probably the closest thing we get for to regular serialized TV horror, right? Because this is these are the deepest darkest crimes, right? And they just did a, an episode. Um, the the SVU episode is called Patrimonial Burden, and it's about starts out at one of these purity balls in New York, and it kind of has some Duggar elements to it and some other things around that. And then the other one is one of the recent episodes of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. So I kissed Christianity goodbye and talking about the whole purity movement and about the guy who really launched that and all of those sorts of things. So that podcast, I was thinking about it earlier in this conversation. I can't remember why that podcast is excellent. It is. What's it called? It is. The rise and fall of Mars Hill. And it's Christianity great. today. Yeah, it's great for Christian leaders in our vein because it allows you like that is so not our context, but it is. But we have many ways that we need to criticize our. Con- so it gives you this container to be critical about religious culture without being self-referential yet. Um, it's really it's I have found it to be like super really helpful good. thinking about the church. It's really good. I guess it's my turn. It is. Ricardo taking us home. I just want to say being last, this is the first time I wished I'd gone first. Uh, that's not the true. First <laughs> shall be last Ricardo and the last shall be first. There you go. I just Thank heard you. that in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, Liz. Wow. That's calling me back to, to center field here. So um, this is my idea for a topic. And um I've been trying to figure out why, like, what is it that really just gets me? I love, they're delicious, these religious horror movies. I'm going to use the word myth, but just know that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Nicene Creed, etc. But religious horror movies use my myths and do something with them in the real world. And I really want to see how it plays out and what it means and how I interact with that. Um, and, you know, I have to confess, like when when I've when we've traveled in Europe and we go to those cathedrals where they have murals or like um, the last judgment in the Sistine Chapel 
or um, the best one I think is in the Duomo in Florence. They'll have people going up to heaven and then people being dragged into hell. And I love the demons. I just, they're so cool and interesting. And I'll take like 40 pictures of the demon stuff and the people being dragged to hell. I'm like, seven of the heaven ones they're just fascinating to me and i and i god maybe i'm a bad person but i i find those compelling for for whatever reason horror movies really come at it at a different angle that i really find enjoyable there's like eternal stuff there's satan there's you know the demons that reside for centuries and come out to you know make destruction uh the other thing I want to say before I say my movie, which is not a very interesting choice, I think, but one of my favorite things about these religious horror movies are when they show pictures that are like medieval. These really exist, I think, of like medieval drawings of like cloven hoofed demons dancing or witches flying, doing like a witch's Sabbath and flying around in circles and all those creepy drawings from the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. And um I find there's something about that. There's got to be like a, I don't know, a group, a group to join. Um, but I, I just find those fascinating because I think they, they really, um, they call up like id stuff for us, but in the context of our faith. So my choice is uh, a little boring. It's not Carrie, by the way. I do want to mention Carrie as a shout out because there's the mother who is kind of religious, kind of off the rails. And she is partly responsible for what Carrie, how Carrie kind of turns out. And I want to give a shout out to The Conjuring, uh, which came out in 2013. I think, uh, you know, based on true stories, but I think that that couple who was in it, uh, sadly, were debunked. But my choice is, uh, is a little boring and old. It's The Omen. The first one with the little boy and Gregory Peck. God, I don't even know when it came out, 1972 or something. It's like a and movie. I just, there's something, you know, it's got a lot, you know, some of it takes place in the Middle East, like that professor in Megiddo and uncovering these scrolls and there will be an antichrist. And, you know, am I the antichrist? You know, we all, when I was a kid, we would, you know, we saw this movie and we checked each other's scalps. Like, is there a 666 on your scalp. And I just, I find it fascinating that there is this battle between good and evil and that it's going to come to a theater near you and to a life possibly near you and the late great planet earth, all that stuff. I just, um, it's, it's a perversion of the book of revelation. I get it. And the book of revelation itself is about other political things as well. But that idea of that eternal battle and that this little boy, you know, who wreaks all this havoc and he's like a little angel. But that scene where they try to take him into a church and he's screaming and he's like this. And every time I hear a baby cry in church, I look at Damien, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so um, I, I don't know. I, I, I really liked The Omen. It was entertaining. It was scary. But it was like, for me, a real religious kind of narrative. What's that? It's just I'm just pulling up pictures of David. Oh, there, there she is. There she is, right That's on the his left. flashing Damien picture. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> 
I've never seen them. I'm also scrolling for something I want to share with you guys, but I love the omen. Uh, Ricardo, I'm so with you on this idea of like playing with Christian mythology in order to tell new and sometimes weird and horrific stories. Sometimes people tell, you know, great story. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Midrash, right? It's like, yeah, give me, Give me, tell me something interesting from this text because I've heard the same story over and over again, right? There's something, there's something fun about using the chess pieces that we know to play a different game, right? Nice. Yeah, I was thinking actually just this memory we were talking about the sign of the beast. Um, when I when I moved out to seminary, I got to choose what our our landline was. And so they gave you a couple of choices on like the website or whatever. And I specifically chose the one that had 666 as the three digit exchange in it. Cause I was like, I'm going to seminary. I'll show you Satan. Like this is what we're going to do right now. And it is actually still my member number over at Safeway, which is our closest grocery store. So I remember that number very well. I remember being at a grocery store with my mom one time and the, the cashier was ringing up the groceries and it came to $6.66. Your mom's <laughs> so, like, buy some gum. And so she yeah. threw a pack of gum. On. There you go. <laughs> a pack of gum. <laughs> yes. Can't leave that there. Can't leave that there. Go yes. out. That was a good one, Ricardo. Thank you. It worked out. Yeah. It was, yeah it was really Liz, it was very religious. I, I do love that. I do love a religious podcast. We talked about, well, did we talk about Jesus? We talked about religion a lot. Mm-hmm. Religion, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. There. Just get that in there. Love it. <laughs> well, that was another episode of Popping Collars. Thank you for listening. And, you know, what are your favorite religious horror movies? We've all got one, I'm sure. I'd like to thank my ho- co-hosts. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Greg. We are quite a team and we are going on strong. Did we happen to mention, no, we haven't, that this is the longest running Episcopal podcast in the universe that we know. Uh, For angels or demons, we are the longest running Episcopal podcast. Uh, Which the phrase longest running Episcopal podcast might be a phrase of horror for some, but not for us. (laughs) So thanks for joining us. Uh, You can find Popping Collars anywhere you Look, type in poppingcollarspodcast.com and you'll find us. And there we are. You can also find us on the things like Stitcher and Apple and Episcopal Cafe. We love Episcopal Cafe. You know, I haven't, in COVID, I haven't gone to the cafe as much as I used to, but it's open. It's all (laughs) open. You will love Episcopal Cafe as much as we do, if not more. So go there for all of your Episcopal news needs and other needs as well and with that uh (laughs) this is uh popping collars we will see you next time and remember those collars oh my gosh no i need a clean one i need a clean god and uh so that so we'll see you next time thanks for listening we'll see you next time and keep those (laughs) collars popped pop pop right now <laughs> oh look at that dog! Oh, look at that dog! <laughs> oh, she turned into a pooch. Look at him podcasting. Look at that dog. Look at him podcasting. Dog popping <laughs> collars. I've been replaced. I've been replaced by a dog. Wait, is this the longest running invisible podcast? <laughs> <laughs>
The devil bowed his head because he knew that he'd been beat. And he laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Johnny said, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best as ever been. He played, found a mountain, run, boys, run. Devil's in the house of the rising sun. The chicken in the bread pan, I'm picking out dough. Granny, will your dog bite, no child, no. 